Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The John Frickin' Meerpod is stoked to partner with Garage Grown Gear for Season 6 of the podcast. Garage Grown Gear, or GGG for short, is your online store for all things ultralight backpacking. Dedicated to supporting the growth of small and cottage brands, they've got everything you need all in one place. From ultralight accessories to dehydrated meals to your big three, Garage Grown Gear has everything you need to lighten your load. Based out of St. Paul, Minnesota, GGG is known for its commitment to providing quality ultralight gear, stellar customer service, and free shipping and returns over $40. Do yourself a favor and get your gear at GGG. Only those who risk going too far can possibly find out how far they can go. T.S. Eliot. I was in La Jolla, uh, and the water was rough. It wasn't terrible, but it was definitely rough. And I was like, okay, I can do this. I can, I'm like, yeah, I can do this. I got all this experience, got all this experience. I can go out there, swim as long as I want. So I go out there and I swim. Swim, 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 hit the buoy, turn around, come back. As I'm coming back, the water's starting a little bit more choppier and the waves start coming in quicker. And as I'm coming in, I get what they call a road wave. I didn't see it. Thumbs up, wham, hits me out of nowhere. Knocks me like a tumble, 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 and everything goes black. I'm Doc, and this is Hiker Trash Radio. 
Hey, is this thing on? Hello? Hit it again. I think it's on now. <clears throat> Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, where each week, Doc will drag some colorful characters out of the woods to talk trail and type 2 fun. If you're aspiring hiker trash, or if you're just looking to understand the hiker trash in your life, look no further. So lace up those boots, gnaw on some jerky, and settle into your 20-mile pace as we fire up the podcast from somewhere deep in the backcountry. It's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirt bags, hiker trash, and of course, good smelling day hikers. I'm Doc, and this is Hiker Trash Radio. Hey, if you like what we're doing here, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, help us move up the charts. And if you don't like it, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest, a former Boy Scout and Marine and a current search and rescue team member and badass, John Woods. Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, John. How's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? Great, great. Thank you. Hey, do you have a whole lot of through hiking experience? Um, not much through hiking experience at all. Okay. Maybe a, a full day. <laughs> That's okay. about it. So what we like to do, if possible, is go by trail names here on the podcast. That's where that's that unique American tradition of hikers giving each other names based on, you know, peculiarities, uh, maybe the, the town they're from, maybe something that happens during the during the trip. Uh, is there any similar uh, nickname practice in maybe search and rescue? Oh, I, I, I don't think so. But I do have a uh, people call me it and I don't I just kind of bl- brush it off. They always call me chicken legs because I have incredibly skinny legs. And I've been called that pretty much all my life. And I'm okay with it. I've kind of gotten used to it by now. Well, I mean, if you're not fond of it, I, I'm not going to call you chicken legs. I mean, you have the right to refuse a trail. Oh, oh no, it's it's okay. <laughs> it's totally okay because I hear it all the time. And it's just like, okay, that's just, that's okay. I'm totally okay with that. Well, I may throw in the occasional chicken legs then. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, John, have you had a chance to listen to the podcast before? Oh, uh, just a little bit. Not not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. That's okay. But good information since I'm not a real through hiker. So um, I like hiking, but I've never done a long overnight thing, except for Whitney. That, that was, yeah, that was a couple of days. Okay. Now, I only ask if you've listened before because I want to make sure that you are aware of a segment we do towards the end of the episode. It's called The Hiking Hack, and that is where you get to share some of your outdoor adventure experience and wisdom to make our our listeners' next trip to the outdoors even better. Oh, absolutely. I got that. Save up some wisdom. We'll hit that at the end. Mm -hmm. But you, you can drop some wisdom throughout the episode if you like. All right. Will do. Okay. Trailblazers Toolkit. All right, that's right. It's time for the Trailblazers Toolkit, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. John, I love to talk about gear on the podcast. I love to hear about the most important item in my guest's adventure gear. So if you were preparing for your next adventure or your next search and rescue uh, excursion, and I was the one providing you with all your gear, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? Give me all the specifics on that piece of gear and tell me why you've got to have it out there. This can be okay. any type of item. It could be gear. It could be apparel. It could be a luxury item. So chicken legs, what do you have to have in your bag when you're going out? Number one for me is good shoes. It doesn't particularly have to be hiking boots. 
Hiking boots are great, and I love them, but they're too heavy. A good pair of tennis shoes, which I go for right now, um, are Ultras. Ultra Lone Peak number seven. I, I have three pairs of them, and I've used them all on every single piece of terrain, even out in the snow with some good micro spikes. That is number one. I do have a pair of Zumberland uh, hiking boots. They're like 350 bucks. They work great. But my running shoes, trail running Lone Peak shoes, can't live without those. Those are my favorite. Yeah, those, and, were, uh, those are a popular choice with the hikers yeah, out there. Yeah, I love those. Love those. And going up, a good pair of socks. And it's the Njinji, not the toe socks, but the soft ones. The Njinji toe socks are fine, but they're a pain in the ass to put on. I they just drive me nuts. And Jinji has another pair of socks that have a little bit softer, and they actually seem like they have more cushion on them. And they're kind of new, but I, I don't remember the name on it. But in Jinji socks, next for pants are always uh, the cool pants. K U H L. I think that I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, really good pants for that, or if not pair of running shorts i will wear those okay we covered the full gamut right there we got like uh three or four in, in one um ultra is very popular in gingies when you say in gingy i naturally ah. think of the of the uh toe socks but uh happy to hear that they've got another set out there as well and i think those cool pants i think that's how you pronounce it i've, I've seen those before uh cool pants those those uh, are a good choice as well yes Yes, and then my uh, top is usually just a um, smart wool top whenever I'm going out. Nothing too uh, REI that I wear only for a little while because usually I get very hot. And a good pair of trekking poles. Okay. Very good. It's the hiking pole. All right, John, it's time for the hiking pole. And that is pole spelled P-O-L-L with two L's, like a survey. All right. Not like the kind of thing you hold in your hand out there. <laughs> I explain that every time because I think I'm very clever having come up with that. And my guests, oh, very nice. they have the same look that you have on your face like right now. Like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, nice. All right. Um, this is a seven-question survey. Helps me give you a score on the sanity scale from one okay. to one. One is completely insane. 100 is completely sane. All right. All right. So the higher the score, the, the more sane you are. So if I were to ask your wife, you know, wh- where you would fall on the sanity scale, what number do you think she'd give? Oh, she would give a one. <laughs> she thinks I'm completely out of my mind. She loves me, but she knows that I am. That's how we met. We, the way we met was off our dating site. And I had my, here we go, minimalist blue New Balance running shoes. I took a picture of that. And I, she's like, what kind of shoes you wear? And I sent her that, that picture of my minimalist shoes from, you know, from almost 20 years ago. And uh, I, do I, I don't have those shoes anymore, but they were all bro- broken, torn, tattered. And she, she fell in love with my craziness. Well, you know what? If you, if you can find somebody that, that loves you for your craziness, I mean, yeah. you, you are in the right spot. So congratulations oh, yeah. on that. Oh, yeah. All right, so seven questions, uh, all related to hiking in one way or another. 
and okay. I'll see which side of the issue you fall on. It's always best to give a bit of explanation to help me adjust my score. Okay. Okay. First question. Trekking poles or no trekking poles? And you've already said this, so I, I feel like I know what you're going to say. Oh, yeah. Trekking poles all the time. They save my, they've saved my knees a lot. Um, even when I'm going downhill and I'm bombing downhill. I use them. Yeah, I just plant, plant, and I. For me, it's four points of contact now instead of just two. So when I'm going up, I use them. When I'm going down, I'm using. Um, sometimes I do uh, put them both in one hand, and if I'm going pretty good, I may not use them. There's certain parts of the trail that I don't use them, but on ninety percent of the time, I have my trekking poles. The uh, REI, I think they're called uh, Black Terex poles they're 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 extended ones out i used to have a pair of black diamond ones and i broke those the z the z ones i've I've had two pairs of those and i broke them both so it's always the extended twist and lock for me all the time uh but yeah every time i go out it's always trekking poles uh all the time yeah now now tell me about breaking the poles I mean, mm-hmm. you've, broken, you've broken two sets. What is, what what yeah. particular move are you doing that causes those poles to break? Oh my goodness! Um, it's I'll tell you exactly the spots, and it's always around the same spots. It is on Ice House Canyon Trail, coming down. Uh, uh, if you're familiar with Ice House Canyon Trail, there's a section of pretty much nothing but rock, and I'm tearing it up, going, going, going. And I remember the black diamonds were the last ones I broke. I stuck it in a thing and I just broke them. I just stuck it in and I didn't, I wanted to yank it out of there and I didn't just stop and kind of wiggle it out. I wanted to yank it and it just snapped. And I'm like, what, you know, no more of those type of poles, no more Z poles for me. It's the, you know, the heavy, they have to be a little bit heavier. The black, the RDI ones are working really good for me now. And uh, yeah. Now we've we've established you have chicken legs. How about yes. the rest of you? you? You look you look pretty substantial as I'm looking at you in the in the in the picture here. Yeah, I, I'm I'm I weigh 160 pounds. I have very thin legs. I've always always had thin legs, but I have a bigger upper body. Now, anybody, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, by now I don't really care what people think or what they say about what my body looks like. This is what it is. Now I I will guarantee this. I will take any trail ultra runner and i will destroy them in pull-ups absolutely destroy them they uh, they have great in trail running and they're really great and that's awesome but picking up heavy weight i'm gonna say i would beat all of them every single one of them they cannot pick up heavy weight i can pick up heavy weight i have a deadlift of about 350 uh my bench press is now at 275 for reps, um, I can do 20 pull-ups straight through without stopping. Uh, I can do ring dips. I can do muscle-ups. Um, oh, and I love burpees. I absolutely love burpees. And I've done a, a few times where I said, okay, I'm going to do a 1,000. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to sit in it until I get done with a 1,000 burpees. And I've done that more than a few times. So my upper body strength is really strong. And the other part, I work that upper body strength every day without fail. This is day 
1,200 and something. I have to calculate it in some way. For the last three years, I've been training every single day. My upper body and lower body, but just not a lot of squats. No days off. No days off. No days Zero. off. The gauntlet nope. The gauntlet has been thrown. All you trail yeah. runners are not there. You cannot do as many pull-ups as, uh, as John here. And John, I have nope. to tell you, you said that you, you just say you're going to do a thousand burpees. I'm going to sit here and do a thousand burpees. I, I can safely say that I don't do a thousand anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can under, I can understand that. And the thing I figured out about the thousand burpees is number one, don't lose count. So what I do is I get my composition book and I write 10, 100 times. And I'll just X off 10, do 10, X off 10, and just keep, keep, keep going. Now, the last time I did it, I did that, but at number 700 and like 30 something, I said, I need a break from doing that. So what I did is I started to write down um, the uh, national parks. So I wrote down one national park. I was like, how many I could remember? And okay, I'll do, I'll do 40 for that. And just, and I just broke it down in the little pieces until I got to a thousand burpees. Um, so I've done, again, I've done that a few times and, um, I enjoy doing things like that, that are just incredibly challenging. And for me, it's not outside the box for me. It's inside my box. It's inside this little square. I can do that. I've seen other people do it. I know I can do it. John, that's, that's quite a yeah. box you got there, buddy. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and did you, I'm curious, did you a- assign a certain number of burpees per national park based on how well attended they were? Like, like uh, Yosemite national park got maybe 120 burpees. Yeah. Capital, uh, Capital reef only got like five. Right, like uh, the ones in like uh, where was the national park? And I didn't even know it was national park. Oh my goodness! Oh, I'm trying to think of the real small one. I think maybe there was one in Arizona that I'm like, I never heard of this. I'm gonna just gonna do give it 25. Oh, Yosemite got like a hundred. Like I'll do a hundred for Yosemite, and, and that little section there got me out of that section. And then I said, okay, let's refocus. Go back to doing 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, and then to get it all done again. Yeah, I mean, that's so, that's, a, that, that's a good strategy when you are maybe pounding miles out there on the trail or you're, you're kind of locked in a monotonous thing that's really a grind. If you change it up a little bit by, mm-hmm. uh, you know, playing games like that, little mental yeah. games, keep you sharp, keep you keep you going, make the time pass by. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and it's, it usually takes me about, uh, I think the fastest I've done it, it's almost – Two and a half to almost three hours. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm just going. And I and I just chop down that tree. Just All keep right. going, keep going, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. You did great on question number one, trekking poles or no trekking poles. But I tell you what, you know, I I, I hear these these explanations. We kind of do these little offshoots. It helps me. You may have gotten full credit on trekking poles, but this little side story about a thousand burpees, <laughs> you might have lost some points there. So. I probably did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Question number two, what's on your feet? Uh, what's right now are my uh, boots. Uh, are my boots for work? Now, these boots are regularly $250. 
I walked into a five eleven store and there were sitting there were used boots sitting in the box. I got them for two dollars and fifty cents. Oh, they're definitely worn, but I absolutely love them. They're they're good tactical boots, um, but they're definitely worn. Uh, but yeah, my uh, boots for work. Basically. But you're not wearing those on the trail. You're wearing your ultras on the. Oh trail. no, I'm wearing my all trail all trails on the trail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, have you ever done an overnight, John? Uh, only at Whitney. Okay, that so was it. D- did you do you prefer to use it when you're doing overnight? Do you prefer to use a tent, tarp, hammock, bivy, or did you just cowboy camp out there? I kind of, I had a sleeping bag, and I can tell you, uh, uh, an angel. I'll just say there are angels in this world, and I strongly feel that they do look out, and they're put in our lives for a reason. When I went up and did Whitney, I didn't have him go for the lottery. I said I'm just going to go to the uh, ranger station and wait. And someone said, just wait, because somebody, somebody's not going to show up. So that's what I did. At the, the ranger station in Lone Pine opened up at 11 o'clock. So I waited, got there at 11 o'clock, just waited around. They called out a couple names. Those people didn't show up. I raised my hand. I said, I'll get it. Got my little green tag. Got on that road. Start driving all the way up the road. And, and during that time, they were doing construction. So it wasn't the, you know, the it was a long wait to get up there. This is a 2016. Yeah. Get up there. And I have, I have my food. I have my boots. And that day, I had my minimalist running shoes. My minimalist shoes. I didn't have all trails. Oh, no, ultras, rather. So I get up there. And I have my warm jacket. I have my beanie. Um, I have a, actually that spe- a very special beanie that my niece made for me. The um, yeah, and I wore that. I get up there, and the thing I go into that little store because kind of hungry. I was going to get a little bit of food, and the thing I completely forgot to bring with me was a sleeping bag. And I didn't know what to do. I'm like looking around and I see all these people going in and out. They have all their gear. They have, I call it Gucci gear. They look really cool. I'm like, what the hell am I doing up here? And over in the corner, I saw a sleeping bag and I'm like, Oh my God, it's going to cost me an arm and a leg. So I was like, I'm going to wing it. So I walked up to the lady, a really nice lady. I said, Hey, can I borrow that sleeping bag over there? And I'll bring it, you know, I'll bring it back. But can I borrow it? She said, yeah, go right ahead. And I was so, that lifted up a huge fear of mine because everybody had their sleeping bag. And I'm like, where, how am I going to sleep? I'm just going to lay down on the ground. So I lady let me use the sleeping bag. So I cowboy camped with just the sleeping bag at the, um, oh gosh, what's that trail? What's that First camp. I think it's called first camp. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I got up there and I was freezing cold and I really didn't get any sleep anyway. I got up there and, and slept under the stars. And at about 2 a.m., I got up and I said, I want to go. I need to go right now. And I was supposed to go. There were some people camping away from me, uh, a nice uh, Korean group. They were going to leave at a certain time. So I was like, I'll go and leave. I'll go with you guys. Um, I did leave with them for about 30 minutes and I just took off. I just like, I, I yeah, I'm honestly in my head. It's like, you guys are moving way too slow. <laughs> I just 
I just kept going from there. But I'm glad I did return that sleeping bag. And that lady was so nice to me. I just I gush over that story because I didn't have a sleeping bag at all. That's fantastic. So that wasn't on a shelf or anything. It was just sitting in a corner. It was just sitting in the corner. Yeah. Wow. Just there. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Trail Angel right there in the Whitney Portal uh, store. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So you answer the next question on the hiking pool. My next question was sleeping bag or quilt. You you have a sleeping bag. Sleeping bag. Yep. Yep. Question number five. Have you ever done any any multiple day where you had to have cook your own food or have your you know take care of your own food out there? Uh usually when it, in the military MREs. Yeah. So is that when with I'm the stove? Food. Is that with a stove or is that just no no it, eat it cold? Open it and um these MREs had a heating element where you pour a little bit of water at the very bottom and you let it sit there and it will boil. And you stick your uh, MRI inside the pack. You let it sit for a little bit. Boom. Heats up the pack. No fire. No nothing. And you just discard the uh, the uh, heating element. Uh, this is old school. I don't know if they still use those. But it's an MRE that has a heating element already in it. So it's pretty easy. Okay. Oh, yeah. But when I went to Whitney, <laughs> what did I eat? I had... Uh, a, I had gummy bears and a Del Taco Benny cheese burrito, and that was it. It was and the best thing is, ever. That is breakfast of champions right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Question number six on the hiking pole, is life better above or below the tree line? Below. The reason I say that is I get to deal with people and i love people i like dealing with people i i absolutely love it going above the tree line hey it's great and i love any good the oxygen and the air and the the um the energy of all of that and you're alone in solitude and i love all of that that helps me deal with people down here down below the tree line it helps me be a good person on a regular basis and where I work um, though the people that come through that door, I always say this, they are there for a reason and they need our help. And if I can be nice and to them, I, I do my best to be as nice as I possibly can. Because again, those people walking through those doors need, are there for a reason. So I would say life is better below the tree line okay now question number seven i'm throwing a a a substitute question because i think i think it'll it'll apply better this this is a real life question big issue that people deal with uh, on a daily basis we probably devote an entire season to the podcast uh, to this one question do you roll your toilet paper over or under up and over up and over (laughs) why is that up and over uh ease (laughs) <laughs> ease of use <laughs> nice no no hesitation there you you had your answer on that ready to go oh yeah that's great <laughs> all right john i need you to stand by just for a second i've got to do some math we need to take your answers and put them through the john freaking mirror algorithm all so right gotta carry the two we're gonna divide <laughs> that by pi uh multiply by root five and we're gonna adjust for the wind chill at first camp at 2 a.m and I come up with a nice. score of 52, 52. Okay. So, yeah. You're, I'm, I'm, you're a lot, you're a lot saner than your wife thinks. 
Yes, I am a little insane. A little bit. A little bit. Just north of that halfway point. So that's, oh, that's yeah. good. Now, John, before we get too far down the trail, let's mm-hmm. back up a little bit. Love to hear about your background, where you grew up, what kinds of sports and hobbies you played as a kid, and how did you get involved okay. in all this outdoor adventure? All right. Well, I am um, born and raised and I was born in Jackson, Michigan, but I was mostly raised in a little town called Union Pier, Michigan, which is just south. Uh, I have two brothers, sister, mom and dad. Um, my dad was one of the first game wardens in Michigan. So he was that's his job um, in California. They don't have very many game wardens at all. But in Michigan, back east, they're all over the place. So he was a game warden there. So that I think that sparked my uh, fun for going outside. Plus, we lived in Michigan, and we lived near Lake Michigan, which is um, you know Lake Michigan. So we could always go to the lake and go outside and everything. Uh, further on, I joined the Boy Scouts. We were in Bo- me and my brother were in the Boy Scouts, but I stayed the longest in. And we had our uh, scout, scout master, Mr. Kiefer, uh, old World War II veteran, old scout master, mean, mean, mean. But he really, I, I think as young boys, he really pushed us. Like on these, he would we'd go on these long hikes in the middle of winter, and he would push, push all of us out there. So I remember doing that. On the back roads, back roads of uh, Union Pier, Michigan, and New Buffalo. Uh, so from there, um, after you know getting out of the Boy Scouts, I played basketball for a little while, and I was terrible at it, absolutely terrible. But I was a good team player. That was my number one thing. I knew I wasn't, I didn't have very much talent for shooting the hoops, but I could hustle, and I no one could out hustle me. I never started any basketball, any game ever, but I played my hardest in practice. I would give the star player fits. I would be up on him and just nag him and, you know, make sure that he was ready to go up against the other team's best players and things like that. So I I took pride in that, in practice and being really good at practice. Um, I played one Season of football broke my hand, and my dad's like, "No more, <laughs> you're never doing that again." So I wanted to do something during the fall. I wouldn't join band, and that's where I found my 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 niche. I guess with my 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 tribe. I guess you could say, because in marching band. Um, I tried out for the be the drum major and I got it. So I was a drum major for three, uh, three years for my high school. So d- we came from a very, very small school. <laughs> so if you did band, you also did something else. So I did uh, band and I did basketball doing mostly all my high school years. And, but uh, in band, that's where I thrived. I played the drums. I was pretty. I was very good at playing drums, um, xylophone, uh, the bells, the big uh, uh, Christmas bells, and called that. Um, and I was a drum major during marching band season. So that that 
right there without going to any leadership courses or doing anything, I was a leader out the gate. It wasn't until I think it was into my senior year, I already been a drum major for two years. That's when they sent me to a camp called Smith and Wallbridge in Syracuse, Indiana. It is an actual uh, drum major camp that all the drum majors from all over America go to that camp. And that's where I learned a little bit more about leadership and being a, you know, just being a better drum major throughout that. Uh, so I played how basketball. Was it, how, how was it being at a camp full of drum majors? Are, oh, are they, are they, are they uh, unusual, a little strange? Or are they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, very geeky. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, cause I was part of that group. I was geeky right along with them. Yeah. Um, I, can, I can laugh along with you because my yeah. son was a kicker. He was a kicker oh, on the okay. team, and I sent him to a football camp in in Wisconsin. It was Wisconsin. Nice. He, he, on his own, right? He's 16 years old. He flies to Wisconsin to this summer uh, kicking camp, and he came back with some stories. He's like, "Dad," he says, "These kickers, man, they're 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 different. They're they yeah. uh, they are unusual." He says, I, "He says I'm pretty normal, but but these guys, they're out there." So I was just oh, yeah. envisioning, you know, drum major camp, how, how that would compare. Oh goodness! It was uh, a bunch of uh, men and you know men and women are all alphas. All of us. We were yeah. always we were always up and like we're leading, we're leading, we're learning how to lead, and we were the top dogs in the uh, band, whatever that meant. But it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. I learned a lot. Some good, you know, met some good people there. Definitely. And did you have a girlfriend in high school? Yes, I had a girlfriend. Her name was uh, Michael. Very unique name for a girl. Uh, beautiful, though. Yeah, she was beautiful. Yeah, and I, I understand so, that she helped. She helped contribute to your outdoor activities as well. Oh, a little bit. I had to ride my bike to see her. Yeah, she lived in Laporte, Indiana. I lived in uh, Union Pier. It was like thirty miles to go, go see her. So I borrowed, I borrowed a friend's bike. I said, hey, man, I want to go see my girlfriend. And he's like, I borrowed a bike. And I would get on my bike. I'd on that bike and hit on that road. Oh, gosh, what's the name of that street? Well, anyway, there's a road that led you all the way to LaPorte, Indiana. And I stayed on that road all the way there just to see her. Uh, uh, sad thing about her, she when I got out of high school, she got – strung out on drugs pretty much during that, you know, during that time was uh crystal meth was big. She got strung out and just screwed with her health really bad. But, um, but yeah, I would get out, get on that bike and go see her whenever I could. Take you to, how long would it take you to do those 30 oh my miles? Goodness. Jeez. See, I would leave. See, I would leave school a little bit early around two o'clock. And just head on out to like four or five hours. It seemed like four or five hours. But I would be on that road forever. And I remember her mom was not happy about that. She would get mad at me because, you know, I'm going to see her daughter pretty much. And I just rolled my bike out here. And I would become rolling up into the gravel driveway. And her mom would be outside looking. And I'm like waving because I wanted to see her daughter. So it it – it made for some good um, drive back homes because <laughs> my the mom would feel so bad. She would put the bike in my put the bike in her car and we would drive it back. 
So, John, where does this where does this level of determination come from? I mean, we're talking about a thousand burpees. We're talking about no days off. We're talking about pull ups. We're talking about riding thirty miles uh, to see your girlfriend. I mean, there is a level of determination there. Yeah, there is. And the other part of that, I'm notice I'm using this word a lot more now, is I'm motivated to do it. I am truly motivated when I see something I want to do. I'm motivated to do it, and I do understand. I hear it a lot that motivation doesn't last. I say it does. I say it lasts as long as you want it to last. So for me, it's every day. My motivation is every single day. And when I want to go see my girlfriend, the motivation is I want to go see my girlfriend. That's the motivation. Um, When I want to do a thousand burpees, I want to do it because... I want to do it. I want to, I want to accomplish the mission. I want to have, I want to get through it. I want to see what happens if I did it. Um, (laughs) I ran down from Vista, California to Claremont Mesa, San Diego area. It's 28 miles. Someone bet me and said, you, I wouldn't do it. And I'm like, yes, I will. I was going to a meeting. There happened to be a meeting down in, I think Claremont, I think it's a place called Claremont, Claremont Mesa. Well, it's Sandy, right off the 805. I lived in Vista. And my partner's like, she's like, you're, you're not going to go to this meeting. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to this meeting. My car was broken at the time. And I was like, I'm going to this meeting. And she said, and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to get there. I'll figure it out. And she says, I'll bet you won't run. I was like, yes, I will. So I got my little backpack. Started off very, very early in the morning and just took off. And I was on Salon, uh, uh, Vista to Oceanside, Oceanside to Carlsbad, Carlsbad, all the way down the Pacific Coast Highway. And I trotted. It wasn't a run. It was definitely a little trot all the way down into San Diego, into the Torrey Pines, past La Jolla. Then you make a right-hand, a left-hand turn to go on a universal universal town. But eventually I got there and it was, I I got to that meeting. I had to change clothes, put on something kind of nice. And um, I remember sitting in that meeting, nodding my head. I said, I, the girl that told me I wouldn't do it was sitting right there. And she she asked me, how did you get here? I said, I ran, I ran here. 28, 20 some odd miles. I think it's over 28 miles to get there. Wow. And it was just because I was motivated. I was motivated to do this. Are you, are you oppositional? If someone says you, you can't do something, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to dig in your heels and you're going to do it. Yeah, pretty much. But the, <laughs> the, the other, the other part of that, most people that know me know I'll do some crazy shit anyway. So they usually won't say you can't. Throughout my whole life, I really haven't heard those words that much. Honestly, my dad, my parents, pastors, teachers always said this. You are not very talented, Woods. You're just going to have to outwork everybody. And that right there has stuck with me throughout my whole life. My, my, my parents were realistic about me. It's like, you, you're not that smart, you're not that talented, but you will outwork everybody. And that's what, you know, that's 
that's what I think my teachers loved about me and my coaches loved about me. My music teacher loved about me that I would just work at it and work at it and work at it until I got it right or at least partly right. <laughs> so I think that it was a uh, uh, grit. I call it just grit. And I'm going to bear down and I'm going to grind this thing out. So, yeah. Yeah, I've been, bl- I've been very blessed that most people haven't said you can't. Yeah, they haven't said you can't. They've just said you're not talented enough. You better work hard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're just going to have to work hard. All right. Let's put a pin in that right there. Let's take a quick break. Let's hear from the advertisers. We'll come back and we're going to get into right. uh, some adventures with chicken legs. Stay tuned for that. We'll be right <laughs> back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Through hiker owned Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. Welcome back. We're talking to John Woods, a.k.a. Chicken Legs. Uh, hardest working guy out there, evidently. I mean, he is really grinding it, uh, doing what he has to do and being successful. So um, we talked about Boy Scouts. I think I said in the intro that you were also a Marine. Roger that. Yeah. Yeah. I was yes. in the Marine Corps and uh, I was the Marine Corps and Army SRT, but first the Marines. Um and that was because one of my friends had joined the Marine Corps. He had came back uh, from boot camp, and I saw him in his dress blues. And so I said, I wanted to do that. I'm like, I, I really want to do that. So me and my buddy Ron went down to the recruiter's office, raised our hand, and August the 3rd, I was. Uh, we say this a lot, August the 3rd is the day I put my feet on the yellow footprints. And at the Marine Corps MCRD in San Diego, that's what you put your feet on before you walk through those doors 
into MCRD. Um, so yeah, I joined the Marine Corps, got through boot camp, which was tough, tough, tough. It's exactly what's been portrayed. Very tough. They're yes, and they do always yell at you. Um, I was never hit by a drill instructor, but I was spat upon. Um, and this was by drill instructor uh, Staff Sergeant Brown from New York City. And he had a strong, strong accent. And he had a gold tooth. And he was so mean. But I, he, you know, he would just call you every name in the book. He would get put his uh, smoker right up into your face and just start chewing you out for nothing. Just completely loses his mind over the little things because he wanted you to have attention to detail and be perfect. Pretty much, he wanted you to be perfect. I one, remember one particular time I had, I think I stepped out of line doing a drill. He grabbed me, pulled me over to the side and just started what they call smoke you. Basically, it's you. He just starts. He just says, begin. And what you start doing is bends and thrusts, which are burpees. Basically, you she says, begin. And you start doing bends and thrusts, bends and thrusts. And it says, stop jumping jacks. You start doing jumping jacks. And it says, stop. Get on your back. Um, do sit ups. He gives you all these commands all in a row. You better be moving fast. Or are you going to be there for a very long time? And, this is what, and this so is I you, get up. This is where you picked. This is where you picked up your your love of burpees. I have a feeling. I think so. I think so. <laughs> he gave me that love of burpees. I like. And now I love him. And uh, he would get up in your face, and he would just spout off every curse word you could possibly come up with, and all that spittle would be in your face. You can't move. You can't say anything. You just say. Sir, yes, sir. Sir, yes, sir. And that's it. And you take it. And I, I'm so glad I went through all of that. Now knowing what I know now, because it really prepared me to be um, resilient. I think there's better, really good resilient learning that I can put up with just about anything. Um, learning that those men in leadership are there for a reason and they're teaching you how to stay alive. Basically that's what it is. You're trying to stay alive throughout your time there. So did boot camp, and after that was over, you go to a school and I didn't do very well on the ASVAB test. There's an ASVAB test that you take. And what happened was I had, uh, did terrible. So I went to cook school. So I it was a cook and a baker for the first part of my Marine Corps career. Uh, I enjoyed that. I learned a lot from that. I learned how that a lot of the um, chow or the the uh, the emphasis was on you. You basically had to get up in the early in the morning by yourself, get a set of keys, go and open up that chow hall and get chow going for the, all the Marines that come through. So you had a lot of responsibility. So back then, this is, you know, before computers and all that stuff, you had to hand write recipe cards, sit there and write them all out, portion them out, get a calculator, calculate all your portions for the day. And it really taught me 
A, to be responsible because that Marine that just came from the field wants a piece of cake that's done right, wants an omelet that's done right, and that's all they want. They want some good chow. And looking back on that, I'm like, I was a part of that. I That's what I did, and I did it really good. I was very good at, at cooking and baking and all that good stuff. What was your specialty? My specialty, oh, I did cakes from scratch. I think I still could do a cake from scratch. I used to make cakes from scratch, and I did that, and I loved it. I absolutely enjoyed making that food for the Marines to come through. Now, you had that job, and you were automatically a grunt, too, meaning an 0311. So you had basically a dual purpose. You cooked, you made sure that every, all the Marines got fed, and you carried a weapon with you. You always, when you're out in the field, you always carried your weapon with you. So you're doing your job and doing other stuff too. So during my whole military, that part of, of my career, I enjoyed all of that until I wanted something different. Since I wasn't that talented, I had, I wanted to do better on my ASVAT. So you're allowed to retake that ASVAT. So I studied my ass off for a, about a year almost, before I was able to retake my ASVAB. So I went in, retook that ASVAB to get a higher score, and I got a higher score, a much higher score. And I wanted to do intelligence, what they call an, o- an O2. So I wanted to shift my focus to do something else, analyzing pretty much maps, analyzing data, analyzing a whole bunch of stuff. So I took that test and did really well in the ASVAB. And I had to get a letter from my commanding officer to change what they call our MOS. So I had to beg and plead with my, with my commanding officer. I want to change my MOS. And eventually I did get a change of my MOS. After doing that, and I did that for a while, I'm not going to get too much into the stuff it's not super secret stuff not to say that it's just very complicated and then it's just not that glamorous at all it's just anal- analyzation of a lot of stuff it wasn't until i i got out of the marine corps did my time got out of the marine corps 9 11 happens i wait was it yeah 9 11 happens i get pissed off <laughs> So I was like, I don't want, I can't go back into the Marine Corps because I have I was, I was already out, but I can go join the Army. And during that time, they were really like, hey, you want to come and join the Army? So as a Marine, you did not have to go through boot camp again. So I went down to the recruiter's office down in the Army. I was only a little bit older at the time. And so yeah, I raised my hand and said, I want to join. And when I joined the Army, it was another six years. And I just got deployed, 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 deployed. I became an MP while in the Army, got on their SRT team, and I was deployed, just getting deployed, deployed, deployed a lot. Um, and that's for another time. I'll tell you, I could tell you stories about that, but that's that right there also shaped who I am today. And we don't have to get into it, but what, what were some yeah. of your deployments? Where, where did you? Oh, gosh. Kosovo, Japan, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan. Wow. Um, 
all of that mess. Let's just call it a mess because it was a mess. Mm-hmm. However, I, I learned so much goodness from people. I'll keep it like that. Okay. My and buddies. Help us with, the, help, help us with the, the acronyms. NP stands for? Um, military police. Okay. Military and, police. M. Yeah. Got it. MP. I got that. And then MP. 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 SRT. SRT. Swift. Swift reaction team. Yeah. So we would go out. What it also is called the QRF, which is quick reaction team. So when things go bad, they would call us and we would get there as fast. We always had our gear ready, ready to go at a moment's notice. Basically, the uh, supply. Uh, Put out security. Say, yeah. say a Humvee or mm-hmm. or a uh, 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 gosh, what I'm can't forget the word. A caravan. There we go. Big old caravan on the road uh, gets trapped in something really bad. They would send us out there to protect it. Got it. Got it. That's that's basically. And then in the military, there's a military police part of that. And when I was doing that, I was a traffic accident investigator. So we did the, that part too. And that's, that's really complicated. <laughs> so did that for a while. Um, did my military thing. Glad I was able to do it and glad I was able to stop it because it, at one point it, um, it was tearing me apart. It was yeah. truly tearing. It was, it was completely changing my personality. Yeah. Um, it was like, it was changing me for the work, for the, the worst. Mm-hmm. And once once that once that last appointment was done with, I said, I am done. I don't want to yeah. do this no more. Yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine oh, that, yeah. that would, you know, dealing with that kind of stuff day in and mm-hmm. day out, that, that can certainly have a, a big impact on on folks. Oh goodness, yeah. Oh yeah. And John, John, what I would say listening to all this and going back to your early earlier statement, you know, where you were told as a kid that, you know, you, you're not too smart, but you just have to work everybody. I would tell you that that Someone who isn't smart wouldn't be able to do all these things that you did. I, I would say, you know, I, I'm an educator. And so I would say that, that kids learn at different speeds and, and kids have different timetables. And, right. you know, it, it, it you are a sharp dude. And it, it uh, maybe you didn't give the best impression early on, but you, you certainly have come into yourself. So, oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. I yeah, do. That persistence pays off. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, let, let's talk about the water. A little bit. Oh yeah. Did you get oh, any yeah. water training when you're in the Marines or in the Army? No, I got very, I got very little. Really? They taught you. They taught you a little bit of swimming. Uh, very little. Uh, it wasn't until again, I I was in uh, Oceanside area, and that's like the Oceanside Carlsbad is like the holy mecca of all triathlons. That's where everybody comes from. And I happened to see some bikers going through Camp Pendleton, and these guys weren't on normal bikes. They were down in their little hunch things, like down in there. I'm like, oh, that looks so cool. I want to do that. (laughs) I really want to do that. So I found out that uh, you have to learn how to swim to do triathlons. So I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this? All right. Uh, in Carlsbad, California, there's um, there's a nuclear there's a nuclear plant down there by the beach, 
and they have these jetties that come out. And of course, I asked some people, hey, you want to come out here and help me swim? Want to come out and help me swim? Of course, everyone said, no, we're not coming out there with you. So I was like, okay, I'm going to have to figure it out myself. So, uh, John, John, so there's t- easier ways. There's easier ways to learn how to swim. I, I know. Going off the jetty next to a nuclear power plant in the ocean. Yeah, it was a much easier way. So I, I jumped in. I just like, I'm just going to do it. We see, you know, and like, I, I, I know a little bit about swimming. So I'm just going to go out until I turn around and go back. And I, I do remember being terrified, absolutely terrified. And I probably wasn't more than 200 meters from the beach. I, I remember turning around, looking back at the beach, scared to death, thinking like, I'm going to die out here. I am truly going to die out here. And some told me, swim back. Just go ahead and swim back. So that started that. So I just went out there and I swam, swam back. I said, okay, I know where were in Oceanside, there's a pier. There's a pier in Oceanside. And every year they have the pier swim. I'm going to get into that. But I did it a little differently. I said, I'm going to find a coach. <laughs> so I went out and eventually I did find a coach, a master. They had a master's program at Carlsbad High School. And I, in the morning at uh, five o'clock, I think it was. Yeah, five o'clock in the morning, had a master's program. So I would go there and swim in a normal pool with a coach who said, okay, this is what you need to do. And it so happened a lot of the other triathletes would be there too. So I learned to swim longer and longer distances, getting in the water comfortably. I went ahead and did the Oceanside Pier Swim with no issues, went around all the way around the pier. And then I was like, wow, I could do this every day. I don't need to go get a T-shirt. So for a while, I would get in my car from Vista, drive to Oceanside, and swim around the pier by myself. Pair pair of fins and just get out there and just do it. And I just started doing that a whole lot. Now, in La Jolla, they have this thing called the Gator Man, which is three miles of swimming. So I was like, well, how am I going to train for this? John, well, how far was how far was the pier swim, do you think? The pier swim was just like a mile. Okay. So a little so this one's really like... close. Yeah. Okay. This one this one's like three miles. Okay. This one's three miles. So I got I gotta put in the time for that. So I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna have to figure it out. I knew the route because it goes from um the La Jolla shore to Scripps Pier down in San Diego. And you go that uh, down and back is uh, three miles. So I would take a bus all the way down to La Jolla. And at 10 a.m., which is really good, there was always a group of swimmers that go out at 10 a.m. These were these these men and women who have swam the English Channel, done the Gator Man hundreds of times, done Catalina hundreds of times. These women, men and women have been doing this for years. I went down there, and I just said, Hey, can I swim with you? They're like, yeah, come on. <laughs> so I started swimming them with them on a regular basis. Got better at it. Got better at it. Started going out on my own more often. And they told me, it said, if you're going to do the Gatorade three-mile swim, you're going to need a guide. So 
I'm like, what's that? Well, anyways, a guide is someone to catch, kind of uh, steer you in the right way. So that's usually a surfer. So I just hung out at, near the pier, and there were some surfers there. I'm like, hey, you guys want to make anybody want to make sixty dollars? You know, to help me do this swim thing. One of the guys said, yeah, sure. And I like, I paid him some money. He would be out there with me when I practiced a little bit. And then on the day of the actual swim, you had, you had to, they would be right with you and they would swim. He would be paddling and guiding me in the right direction. Cause that was a requirement. You had to have a guide with you. So I learned how to swim in the ocean by myself. I learned to swim with others. Um, I still do it every once in a while, whenever I can go down there. Uh, but it was, I'm glad I learned how to do that on my own. And the couple of times that I've almost drowned, I was in La Jolla, uh, and the water was rough. It wasn't terrible, but it was definitely rough. And I was like, okay, I can do this. I can, I'm like, yeah, I can do this. I got all this experience, got all this experience. I can go out there, swim as long as I want. So I go out there and I swim, 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 hit the buoy, turn around, come back. As I'm coming back, the water started getting a little bit more choppier and the waves start coming in quicker. And as I'm coming in, I get what they call a road wave. I didn't see it. Thumbs up, wham, hits me out of nowhere, knocks me like a tumble, 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 and everything goes black. Everything. And I and I even said to myself, okay, this is it. This is where I'm going to die. This is it. But the training, I said, okay, get your butt back up to the surface. Got back up to the surface. Said, okay, then my you know, training kicks in. It's okay. Stop for a moment and look at what the, where the waves are coming. Time it. And then time it at a perfect time. Drop down, push off, come up. Drop down, push down, come up, and swim. Swim as fast as you can. And I got hit by another one, but it, I was prepared a little bit more prepared for it. Got prepared for it. Got hit again. I'm like, okay, I can do this. And swam my ass off. And when I got up to the to the shore, I got up and I turned around. My my uh, speedos were like half off, and the lifeguard at the top, and he looks down and he, I think he knew, he knew my name. He said, "Hey Woods, you all right?" <laughs> like he's like, "I was watching you," and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm all right." And I'm like all disheveled and like my tummy was it was the water was cold, but so my tummy was uh, was uh, trembling pretty bad, and but I remember just. Like, don't do that again. You can go out with other people. It's okay. <laughs> but yeah, wow. that was one of the, that time. Came yeah. in with your speedo half hanging off. Yeah. 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 That was, wow. yeah, that was not, that's not a, pretty at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now, and, uh, it's, I think interesting, it, it's interesting that you, you, we started this whole, whole line of, of uh, conversation because you were inspired by, you know, seeing these triathletes doing doing yeah. the biking and then you had to swim but i have not heard i have not yet heard whether or not you've done a triathlon oh yeah i've done i have oh, a yeah, tattoo okay. on my arm okay yeah, you probably can't see it but i have a tattoo i've done uh one half iron man and all the rest of them have been a lot smaller that half iron man that that almost killed me 
that literally almost killed me. That was a that's a one mile one mile swim, fifty six mile bike ride. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, fifty six mile bike ride, and then a thirteen mile run. I I think I came in second to the last place. But you finished. That's what matters. I finished. Right? That's what matters. Right. I remember. I remember they uh, as soon as I crossed that finish line, they gave me a hat. They threw a hat on me. And I remember I didn't crawl, but I was walking really slow. And I remember this old, oh gosh, this old, old man comes walking up to me, grabs me by the arm. And he's like, you're going to die, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to die. So he puts me under the water and just starts dumping water on me. And this guy was old. He had to be in his 70s. He had, you know, finished long before I did. He was just dumping water on me. And I, I was like maybe half his age, maybe a little bit younger, but it was, I was humbled by that. <laughs> Definitely humbled. That is a humbling experience. You know, anytime oh, yeah. I'm in a race, there's always competitors that are way older than me that I think in my mind, I should be, these people should be way behind me and they all, they're finishing right. in front of me. So, you know what? Oh goodness. Yeah. That doesn't matter the time. It matters that I, I did it and I finished. Yep. 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 But um yeah um it, it, you know I'm glad I learned how to swim but my I think I mentioned to you that my brother actually saved my life uh, out in Lake Michigan the frozen tundra of Lake Michigan during uh, the winter time he had I we were out there playing and I'll I'll never forget it we're out there playing on the uh, 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 frozen lake that also had sand on it we're thinking it's safe and thinking it's like oh this is great we're gonna go out here and play all day. I remember falling in, falling right on down. And my brother, like, thought real fast and just reached down and just pulled me up. And now, mind you, my brother's smaller than I am. He he reached down and just grabbed me and drugged me out of there. And I, like, you know, I was incredibly thankful. I was completely freaked out. And I knew my my parents were going to be in trouble, Ah, but we weren't. My, we got back to the house. I was cold and wet, and my brother just said, "Yeah, he fell in," and my brother pulled me out. So, I'm very grateful to my brother to this day about that. Nice. Let, let's transition to hiking now. You you mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned Ice House, the Ice House yes. uh, Trail. Which, for those who aren't familiar with Southern California, where can they find the Ice House Trail? Ice House Trail is in the. It's in between the Angeles and San uh, and the San Gabriel, yeah, San Gabriel Mountains. It's a trail. Um, pretty easy ice to house find. Can- it's like ice going house- to Mount Baldy area. House, ice House Canyon Trail, yeah. And so it's it's yeah. very it's it's uh, like very close to Baldy. Also, you can get to Rancho yes. uh, uh, Cucamonga Peak. Sorry, Cucamonga Peak. Yes. Yes, you can also get there from that Ice, Ice House Canyon Trail. Ice House Canyon Trail for me is a training trail. I go up there so much because of the elevation and it's really treacherous. And I like that. I want the I want the rock. I want the elevation and all that good stuff. So um, I've done that several times. I've done the, what they call the triple T's, which is a, a, a telegraph. Oh, gosh. Telegraph, Thunder, and uh, Timber in that area. I've done Baldy quite a few times. Uh, I've done Iron Mountain, which is west of Baldy, way west of Baldy. 
but it's one of the tougher hikes because it gets elevation really fast. I've done Cucamonga, I've done Etiwanda, done Bighorn, done Ontario. I haven't done, I think it's called Sheep Mountain, wherever. But um, I've done all of those. I've done Whitney. Uh, I've done Iron, Whitney. Oh, I've, saw, I've done uh, San Gregorio. So uh, in the grand themes, in the California hiking community, there's a thing called the Three Saints. And that's San Antonio, San Gregorio, and um, San Jacinto. I have yet to do San Jacinto. Uh, that's in Palm Springs area. Right, right. So now, I'm waiting. Gregor- Someday I'll do that. San Gorgonio, that is the tallest peak in Southern California. Yes, that is. And I did that with very with no food um, and very little water. Matter of fact, no, I remember I just had like one bottle of water, very small bottle, because I got water coming back. There was some there was a stream there, and I would just scoop up some water, drink, and just keep going. Yeah, and there's a number of trails to get to the top of Gorgonio, but that is mm-hmm. that is no joke. That is a good trainer for uh, Whitney because it's, yeah. it's like a, a 20 mile round trip trip. Oh yeah, trip, trip and uh, with a lot of elevation gain. I think it's uh, it's over it's over ten thousand feet. I think it's closer to. 11. Oh yeah, it's eleven. It's eleven five maybe. Eleven five. Yes, I believe okay. it's eleven five. Yeah, but I've I've done all those, and, and again, you know. People will look at it however they look at it, and that's okay. Most of the time, I don't carry water with me, and I don't carry food. I know, I understand now that, you know, that's definitely not the way to go. Now doing search and rescue, you shouldn't do that. But, I, and, you know, that's what I did. I didn't like carrying a bunch of water with me, and I definitely liked, did not like carrying a bunch of food. And I was by myself most of the time, like almost all the time, all the peaks I've done, except for – no, most of all, I was by myself. Um, so it was my responsibility, and I took that risk. I don't take those risks anymore like that. Uh, with doing search and rescue, now I'm more pack. I take a pack with me now. Um, I still look at it as annoying because now i got to carry weight with me, but it's for, it's for the best, definitely for the best. Got it. Tell us a little bit about search and rescue. How would you get involved with that? It happened to be a lady standing next to me at work. She was talking about a hobby she had. And I was looking at her, I'm like, what do you do again? She said, yeah, I just go out in the mountains and uh, we rescue people every once in a while. And I looked at her like, you do what? This is, a, you know, her name was Fran. Nice, nice young lady. And I'm like, you do what? She's like, I volunteer for search and rescue. And it's like, that's a thing. You can actually volunteer. This is not like a a paid thing. She's like, no, it's not a paid thing. You volunteer for this. And I just started asking her a ton of questions. And she said, start coming to the meetings. And this was last year. And I, uh, hold on a second. Okay, baby. Okay. Um, that's my lovely wife. Come here, come here, baby. Oh, she's gonna make an appearance. <laughs> Please. <laughs> okay. She's not. He says she's alone. <laughs> she says alone. Oh, all right, sweetie. All right. Um, so uh Fran just got me interested. She said, come to the meeting. And the commitment is 
you have to go at least five meetings before they even give you an interview. So I'm like, I'm totally interested. I want to do this. So I started looking it up, doing my own little research. And I went to bought all the meetings, started just hanging out because with liability reasons, you, you can go, you can go hiking and see them and stop and watch them, but you cannot participate. So that's what I did. They would say, hey, we're going to Wrightwood. And I would drive up to Wrightwood and just sit there and listen and watch them as they're doing it. The good part about it, I wasn't alone. There was another guy who did the same thing that I did. We would go up there and just sit and watch what they did and what they were practicing. So we couldn't we couldn't do anything until we got an interview and got on the team. Um, so I got my interview. It was a Zoom meeting with a bunch of um, other search and rescue people. I had a meeting with the sheriff because uh, it was San Bernardino Mountain San, San Bernardino Sheriff Mountain Rescue. So I had to go through the sheriff department. Uh, I had to apply for it. Uh, fingerprints, background check, the whole thing. Um, it's like becoming a deputy, basically. Uh, went through that. Uh, we just now signed up for our first class, which is rope rescue. Basically, you get a bunch of rope and you're figuring out how to save yourself and save somebody else. That's basically what it is. So now I'm watching just about every video on knots, learning every knot I can possibly, uh, looking at a knot video and slowing it down real so I can like match what they're doing and trying to make it a figure eight with a hitch look like what they're doing. So it's been a very good learning experience and land navigation. And now in the military, I wasn't very good at land nav at all. Well, all of a sudden now I'm a lot better at it because I think because I don't have the other stuff going on, I can only focus on land navigation doing that. And now, so we have our rope class in June in September is what they call the BSAR class. It's the actual basic, basic search and rescue you have to, it's three weekends. You have to go out in the wilderness and they teach you basic search and rescue. The first aid part, tracking people, um, getting to the spot, to the person, getting to the, uh, the patient or the subject, as we call them. Getting there and getting there safely, providing care for that person or it, for the last couple of them, just walking them back. You, they just walk with you. Or providing a blanket, carrying extra clothes with you, carrying extra food with you in order to have the uh, patient or, uh, God, I keep getting this word wrong. The patient, we'll call him the patient. Subject. subject. The, the subject, thank you. The subject to be safe to get them back, get them back to their family. Um. I am very, very blessed to be with a team of people, men and women, who go out all the time. At the moment, so they have that ability to go out on every, just about every call. And especially this one lady, her, her name is Christine. She's from France. She goes out on all the calls. I mean, she, she's, she's out there. Um, but she has so much information, and she tells you what to bring, what not to bring, stuff you don't need. And she told me this. 
since I train every day and I do a lot of my own hiking, I go pretty quick. She said, that is an asset because the first thing to get to the subject is you got to get there. And a lot of times search and rescue takes their time and that's good. They're supposed to gather up, gather information, make a plan and go. And in that go, a lot of times the search and rescue guys aren't very fast. That is that, And she even said, they're not very fast. You have the ability to go fast. And you know where you're going. As long as you know where you're going, you get there safely. You get on that radio. Say, hey, the subject's right there. I see the subject and the subject's moving. Let me make a hasty um, uh, attachment to a rock and let me start the process. I wouldn't do my by myself, but let me start the process and making an assessment of how we're going to get down there. So I'm very... Glad that I, I I'm very glad that I want to be asset to this team, and with some more uh, education and more training, I will be an asset to this team. So yeah, that speed, yeah, that speed and getting a jump jump start there on you know yeah. the time that that could be a matter of life and death. So that's that is yes, that. yeah. So I'm and- I'm really just watching a lot of videos on search and rescue mm-hmm. and the mindset of it all. Yeah, and with all the snow that we've gotten in the in the Sierras and even down here in our local mountains, I mean, this, yeah. this could be a big year for search and rescue. So, oh, it's it, it already is. It yeah. already is. They're getting called out just about every weekend. There's a call out, or in the middle of the week, um, I think one of the last call outs was on a Tuesday. Um, some so- snowboarder at Baldy went on the wrong side. Got caught up there, and he he got on his phone. I got you know it's a good thing there was a signal for nine one one. He got a hold of the sheriff's department. Sheriff's department got a hold of the search and rescue team. It was it wasn't ours. It was uh, West Valley, and they got up there and got him. Okay. So it's and it's it's a good that we there are a lot of teams in our area. There's like maybe seven or eight teams wow. that are fully yeah. equipped and ready to go. All right, hey John, you know where we are. Where we are, are we? Hiking hacks. Hiking hacks. That's right. This is hiking time hacks. For you okay to share some uh, some trail wisdom, some outdoor adventure wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. What kind of uh, tips or tricks or bit of wisdom do you have for us, John? Uh, number one, hydrate before on every hike. Hydrate before every hike. Um. Boots are great. Get a good pair of tennis shoes and you could go a lot faster. What else? Oh, good. Oh, train for a hike. I mean, why not? <laughs> Get on a Stairmaster. Uh, do some make burpees. Your low, do some burpees. Yes. Sure. Make sure that you're on that trail that you're safe and you can do the hike. At a good pace. I, not everyone's going to go at a fast pace. I understand that. But it, at least do a few lunges <laughs> to get those legs strong. That's right. All yeah. right. So there you have it. We are almost done here. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with John. I want to thank him for joining us this week. John, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Well, you can get on <laughs> You can get on uh, uh, social media. It would be uh, Black People Who Swim. Love That's what it. it is. Love it. All off Instagram. 
that and that's about it. Uh, Facebook is John Robert Woods. <laughs> that's about that's about it. That's all I do. Okay. Um, you might see a video. I think you probably saw you got all that. There's a video of me on there um, having a good time on the trail. And that video actually has gone viral. It's crazy. It's a crazy video. And Chicken Legs has uh, gone yep, viral. Yep. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> nice. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share with me, you can send it to me at johnfreakingmirror at gmail.com. Off the beaten path. Now, unfortunately, we can't always be on the trail. And when we're not, we need to find a way to get our adventure fixed. So, John, I'm going to ask you to share some outdoor adventure media with our listeners to help them get by. This could be a book or a movie or a documentary. We call this segment Off the Beaten Path. Any suggestions or recommendations for us, John? Right now is uh, Alex Honold's Hurt. If you can find that, find that on Real, guess, oh God, Real Rock TV, R-E-E-L Rock TV. If you can find that, I've been looking for it. It's Alex Honold's, oh God, in Red Rock, not Red Rock, but in Vegas, that there's a um, adventure he's doing right now. I've been looking for it. I'm he, there's a snippet of it on Real Walk R E E L Rock and he's he's doing this all solo by himself. No rope, no anything. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Uh and of course I've watched uh, Free Solo uh the uh yeah, Free Solo. Free Solo. Uh, yeah. Watch uh, watch that. Uh and I watched the uh Don Don Wall um Oh gosh, that I've watched the one on Netflix of uh, the Alpinus about the yes. kid who died up there. Oh, watch oh, oh. that was Spo- spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Don't uh, don't give away the ending there. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Alpinus. Oh man, other ones. Oh god, the Dawn Wall definitely Alpinus. Yeah, those, those are all great. Just, just oh, and anything, absolutely anything with uh, oh gosh. The Ultra Runner, Courtney. The documentaries is all she's on. Courtney Dutwalder. Yes, she I is. Everything. She is oh, so she's impressive. in another world. Yeah. Okay, those are all yeah. fantastic the- recommendations. Thank you so much, John. And, oh, oh, and another one. I'll give you another one. You can oh, probably- oh, wait. He's got one more. I have another one. The uh, gentleman's called the Black Sherpa out of Colorado. Okay. He's one of two people that I know of has done all of the 14s in Colorado. He's on Instagram. And he, I think he has I think he has a documentary, but I'm not 100% okay. clear. The Black Sherpa. The Black Sherpa, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What have we not asked you? All right. And before we wrap things up, just one more segment for you called, what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell us about? What do we miss tonight, John? Oh my goodness. I have got great grandkids. No, <laughs> I have my wife. My wife. I love my wife. I love my wife. I wouldn't be able to do any of this without my wife. Yeah. And I love my grandkids. And I, I think the number one thing is I probably wouldn't do this without my grandkids. Because knowing that I have that in my head makes me always want to come back. 
I want to give back. I got to get back to my grandkids. Nice. Yeah. Now, good, John, yeah, John, you said yeah. you said you had great grandkids, and so I was thinking. Yeah. But you you were you were saying that your grandkids are great. Yeah, no, not that yeah, they're have, great. Not not that you have great grandkids. Oh, I not, do. I have a great grandchild. Yes, I do. I that is insane, John. Oh, do I have a picture of her? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'll send you a picture of her. Okay. Yeah, J- uh, Jasmine is my great grandchild, um, and I have. Three other grandchildren, uh, Marina, Jenna, and Marco. Okay. Yeah, those are my babies. <laughs> my babies. Fantastic. All right. Hey, we are finished. Thank you for coming on the podcast. We wish you the very best in your future adventures in search and rescue. And we hope you'll come uh, consider coming back at some point and sharing some more epic stories. As we close Absolutely. up today, do you have any shout outs to friends and family, John? Shout out to my wife. And all my grandkids, bigger, big shout out to my wife, Alice. She's a nurse at USC. She's pretty awesome. Um, I also shout out to Black Men Hike LA. Big supporter of those men. Uh, Outdoor Afro. uh, Black Women Hike LA. um, All that. All that. Nice. All right. Hey, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if Drill Instructor Brown has been smoking you all day long. The trail is the trail. (laughs) Embrace the suck.